Thanks, Pris. Good morning. On this summer day, I'm reminded of my childhood growing up in Amarillo, Texas. We lived right off of, uh, uh, gosh, we lived a lot of places, but we lived over off of Mesa uh, by Western Plateau Elementary. And my buddies and I, we'd, all, we'd ride our bike and we'd swim at the Olson Swim Club, the Dolphin Swim Club, right here on 34th and Western. And I always remember that when my mom would drive up later wearing her, her cool 50 sunglasses and out there bathing, that she would feed us all uh, and feed me and my sister, uh, Denise, my brother Kent, a lot. And then she would just say this, you can't do what? Go swimming until 30 minutes after you eat. She'd always say, I remember just sitting there with her, waiting for the clock to go 30 minutes. And I was with my grandchildren in Denver recently with uh, my daughter, Chan and Josh, my son-in-law and my two <coughs> grandchildren, Shep and Willow. And I said the same thing. And my daughter just looked at me and said, really, Dad? Really, Dad? That's just not true. <laughs> and, I, and I have thought about all the, all the untrue axioms, all the statements that my mother used, which weren't true, but I, I could see what she was doing. They made sense. Think about all the untrue axioms maybe you grew up with. Wait 30 minutes until after you before swimming. No physical proof of that. No, 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 no proof of all that that's true. Or you're drowned is what my mother said, which is scary, right? Uh, if you sit too close to the TV, you'll go blind. W- wouldn't we all be blind right now? Wouldn't, wouldn't we all, all be blind? If you swallow gum, it stays in your stomach for seven years. Totally untrue. Totally untrue. You don't want to swallow a lot of gum, but again, we'd have this big wad of gum in our stomach. If you cross your, my mother, if you cross your eyes too much, they'll stay that way. They'll stay that way. My brother and I would be, again, we'd look weirder than we do. If, swallow, if you swallow watermelon seeds, they'll what? Grow in your stomach. I mean, again, parents, they probably knew this wasn't true. They just knew this would scare the heck out of you and you wouldn't do it. How about this? Uh, as we think about almost statements that we grew up with that are made to sound like scripture almost, but they're not. They're, and they're untrue. How about this untrue axiom? Sticks and stones will break my bones, but what? Words will never hurt me. Can you think of a worse statement in the world? I'd rather be beat up and sunburned than to, I mean, James says the, 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 the tongue is like a flame of fire. It sets, it sets us on fire. My mother, how about my grandmother loved this one. Are you ready? Cleanliness is <laughs> next to godliness. And my mother doubted my salvation as she looked at my room every morning. Uh, my wife still, when she looks at my closet, wonders if I'm saved, if that's a true statement. <laughs> this is one, the Lord helps those. Really? I mean, I've had people that say that's in the Bible. And I'm like, ah, can you show me where? In fact, the Bible says the opposite. I can do nothing apart from Jesus Christ. I can do nothing on my own except for Jesus. These axioms. But here's the one that Paul, as we look at Colossians, is going to take head on as just not true. You can be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. They're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. I remember listening to Casey Kasem. He'd say, keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. Paul takes on this axiom that you can be too heavenly minded to be earthly good, that we think that having your feet on the ground, they're a down-to-earth person, they're very grounded, that that's a good thing. But it's not. It's a worldly thing. Paul takes that on, and he challenges that as we look, as we continue to go through the book of this great letter to the church of Colossae. So let's look at that scripture in Colossians. We're in Colossians 3. I think we might have that <clears throat> reference there. Let's look at how Paul takes that on and says just the opposite. Unless we're heavenly minded, 
Unless our focus is in the right place, we will not be earthly good. And the only way we can be of any good on this earth is to be heavenly minded. <clears throat> Let's read Paul's great words here in First Colossians, excuse me, First Colossians chapter three. If then, of course, he's referring to the chapter before. If then you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked, when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Paul says, and he's been talking about that we're a new creature, that if you're a Christian, you're not just modified, you're not just moralized, you're not just going to be good. You're a, we're a new person. We're completely new people. And that's what he's talking about. So if, if we're new people, what do we do? What does it look like? This is so easy, we could just read through and, and I not get in the way and mess it up. Paul just says, here's a to-do list. Here's, here's several things. Here's about nine things. Just here's what it looks like. Here's what we must think like and, and look like. Here's what we must think and do to be new in Christ. This is what it should be like. This is a good measuring stick. I don't like formulas or seven steps to holiness or eight steps to prosperity, all that kind of junk. But I do like that Paul just lays it out. Here's what it looks like. Here's what we do and say and think if we're going to be new in Christ. He says, seek, set, put on, put off. We're going to go through this little to-do list of just practical things. They have to do a seek, set, Put on, put off. First, seek the things above where Christ is. Seek the right hand. Seek the things above where Christ is. Seek the right hand of God. <clears throat> He's like, no, instead of being earthly minded and thinking about the earth and seeking things on the earth, it's all about my money, my power, my image, things. Like, He's seek the things above. Look up. And I'm reminded of Stephen in the book of Acts. <clears throat> Stephen, if he'd looked down, he would have been a mess. He's being killed. They're throwing rocks at him till he dies because he's claiming Jesus as God and the, the Pharisees are killing him. And what does he do? Does he look down and say, oh, that's a big rock or that's going to hurt or I'm being killed or worried? No, he looks up and guess what he sees? And this is what Paul's referring to. Guess what he sees when he looks up? Jesus Christ in his glory, in his resurrected, shining, bright body sitting at the right hand of God the Father and if you know anything about medieval, about kingdoms, the right hand is the hand of power. The king and queen sit in the throne, but on the right hand is either the prince who's going to take over someday and be king, or, or the, the, the prime minister, the power, the person of power. And that's where Jesus left to, to die on the cross for us and, and gave all that power up, became powerless so we could have power, and then he went back and he's seated there. And when Stephen is being killed, he looks up and he sees Jesus 
sitting there, but not sitting. Actually, when Jesus realizes, in honor of Stephen, Jesus stands up. He stands up for Stephen at the right hand. And Paul says, that's what you should do. Quit looking at all the stuff around. Quit looking at all the problems. Quit looking at, oh, this government, oh, this election, oh, this money. And look up and see Jesus. Because it says when we look at him, we realize who we are. In fact, it says that because Jesus died in my place and was raised, Paul, it looks like he's using bad grammar. If you're a grammar teacher, you go, oh, wrong, wrong verb, verb usage here. You said because you've already been raised, since you have been raised, since you have died. Wait a minute. Why doesn't he say since you're going to be raised, you're going to die? Because it's already done. Because Christ died in our place and rose so that we can... God always sees us like he sees Jesus. When he sees us, we're already there. We, in his life, we're already been raised. We have died to our sin. Galatians says, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but God who lives within me. Christ who lives within me. But God says, you're already there. Live like it. Don't live like you're living down here. Live like you're citizens of another kingdom. You've already died in Christ. You never have to stand judging for your sins. And you have resurrected. You have been raised. That means that when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. When he looks at you, he sees Jesus Christ. Even though we're messed and we're sin, we still have this body, he sees us like he sees his son. We have the same rights, power, authority, and love that Jesus has. It is as if we died on the cross and we rose from the dead, and that's not blasphemy because we're in Christ. He sees us as glorified, risen. He loves us, he loves us just as much and just as much honor as he does his own son, beloved Behold what manner of love the Father has given us, that we are sons and daughters of God. Do you see yourself that way? Do I see myself that way? And this Friday evening, a lot of us from staff and friends of Kara and Matt, uh, Kara Hunters, have got married. And as Kara came down the aisle and her beautiful, and looked beautiful, and most people looked at, at Kara. But if you ever get to do weddings like I do, you get to look at the groom. And I've never, I've done millions of weddings, I've never looked at a groom who wasn't just transfixed. Every woman looks good coming down the aisle in a wedding dress. I don't care who they are. That's the goal, right? And you can just look at the groom and he's like, she's perfect. <clears throat> she's mine. That's how God looks at you and I. Because we've been raised, because we've died in Christ, we are perfect. We are perfect in his eyes. We are seated around Christ's feet. Set your mind up there, do you see yourself that way? Loved, forgiven. Are you seeking things down here or do you seek what's above? Think of the things that we could overcome if we just continue to see ourselves like God did. His bride, his perfect, unblemished, forgiven bride. The next to do, the next action verb besides seek is set. Look at that next verse. Verse two, set your mind. That means focus. That means obsess, fixate. What are you fixated on? What do you set your mind on? Someone has said that what you think about and what you dwell on during your downtime, when you're not working, when you're not engaged, when you just kind of free think, what do you think about the most? That's your God. That's what you're set on. That's what you worship. What do you set your mind on? Paul says, set your mind above. Look at this. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the earth. For you have died, as we talked about, and listen to this. Oh, what a great, this phrase is fascinating, it's mysterious. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. What? 
My life is hidden with Christ in God. My grandchildren love to play hide and seek. Even they go, even though I go go hide, she stands right next to me and puts her face in her eyes and goes, "I'm ready." <laughs> Christ says, "Your your life is hidden in God. Hidden from what? Again, because I'm in Christ. I because Christ covers me. I am hidden from death." In the power of death. I'm hidden from sin. I'm hidden from shame. I'm hidden from guilt. I'm hidden from the devil. He can't reach me unless God lets me. I'm hidden from rejection, loneliness. We are hidden in Christ. It can't get to us unless he allows it. And when he allows it, it's for our good. We're hidden in Jesus Christ. One of my favorite pictures, you know this picture, especially those of us a little older. John F. Kennedy was a very, very, very popular and, and, and president. He was a very busy man. <clears throat> He had a schedule unlike any other, and he would come in as he sat in the Oval Office. There was a door to the left that, that dignitaries would come in and out, and powerhouse, power people of the world would come in and out. You had 15 minutes with him. You came in, you spoke with him, and you left, and you could not come in without permission. You could not leave without permission. That was his power. But over here was a door that went to the family. Went to, it was a private door, and John, FK, John Jr., would come and go whenever he wanted. You'd be talking to the, the, you'd be talking to the premier of Russia. You'd be talking to the, to the prime minister. You'd be talking to the most powerful. To your, Kennedy would be talking to the most powerful man in the world. And, and, and John Jr. would just come in, sit in his lap. Kennedy wouldn't even blink an eye. He'd sit in his lap. But he also loved to get under the desk. This is called the Resolute Desk, built, by, uh, built out of the remains of an old uh, British ship that was given back to the United States. The United States gave back to Britain. And then they made it into a desk and gave it to the president. This is the Resolute Desk, and there's a little door there. Actually, FDR had that door closed. She couldn't see that he had polio legs, but this was it's the open door. And he could just come and go. Had perfect access. He was hidden there from all this power. He had the access as the son of the president. He could come and go and was, was loved. That's what it's like to be hidden in Christ. That's what it's like to be the son. We have perfect access. Set our minds there. And then this great line, when Christ, who is your life, don't miss that, when Christ, who is your life, is Christ your life? How would you fill in that blank? How, Christ, life is what? Life is my kids. Life is my money. Life is my church. Life is my house. Life is my name. Life is my body. Life is my whatever. In Christ, there's a new person that says, when you life, who Christ is your life. Every day, we pray, Holy Spirit, make Christ my life. What, is, what does that mean? Guess what? It says, when he returns, and he will, we say that at the end of communion, and when he comes back, and he will. At the second coming, at the parousia, it's called. When Jesus Christ comes back, guess what? The reality that we are resurrecting Christ will become physically true, too. It's called the already, not yet. We are already seen as forgiven and perfect and raised from the dead. We are already seen as perfect, unbelievable, glorified bodies. But the not yet is we still have to live here. Guess what happens at the second coming? He says it so clearly. When he appears, and he will come in the clouds at the second coming, we will appear with him in glory. You'll either come two ways. You're either going to go up or down. If you've already died or someone that you know and love died in Christ... They're going to come back with Christ, riding on that white horse, with Christ with a sword from his mouth to slay the nations, with King of Kings written on his thigh, with a, a robe dipped in blood, and we will ride with him. If, if you have died in Christ, you'll come back in a glorified body with him. Or, if we're still here, we will be taken up 
into, into the skies, it says, and into his Shekinah glory when the trumpet sounds, and we will be immediately transformed into that glorious body, the body you always wish you could have but never have. We'll be glorified. It's coming, folks. That's good news. Think on these, set our minds there. Think that way is what he's saying. That's the good news. Seek and set. And he goes from there to action verbs. The way you think is the way you live. Good theology leads to good lifestyle. Bad theology leads to bad lifestyle. As a man thinks, the scripture says, so you become. And Paul says it's very important how you think. So first, seek this. Set, think, mind, and then do. Here's the do verbs. It's about putting. The word put. The word put means to place, to do, to put. Look at all the puts here. First, it kind of starts off on a negative. It says this. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. And because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Woo, that's a hellfire and damnation verse. That's a scary one, but it's true. He says, okay, if you're thinking right, here's what it will look like. First of all, you will put to death. It doesn't say you'll put away. It doesn't say you'll control, you'll manage, you'll handle, you'll regulate. Kill it. Kill it. Kill it. Like weeds, like Roundup. You spray Roundup on something, one, you'll get cancer now probably, but two, it'll kill everything around it. And that's what Paul says, kill these things. A new creation has to put these things to death, not just manage them, kill them. And it really talks about two areas, sexuality and envy and greed. Isn't that interesting? Of all the things, here's the two things that are killing us as Christians. I work with young people. These things are definitely the first, are killing our kids' spiritual lives. Nothing will damage a young person's life more than a bad sexual relationship with the opposite sex or the same sex. Damaging outside of marriage. Damaging. We have to trade. We love them so much. We don't say that's just bad, don't do it. You're selling for less. Go for the best. Sexual immorality, the word there is pornea, which we get the word pornography. Immorality means, of course, sexual impurity. Passion here is not the great passion for Christ or passion for something. The pathos here uh, means, again, sexual evil desire. It's all talking about this great gift we have from God that can be good or bad. Think about fire. Is fire good or bad? Can you use it for good? Can you use it for bad? Right? A friend of mine was in, when I lived in Tulsa, Oklahoma, his family had gone ahead. It was in the winter. They had gone ahead uh, to Colorado for a trip. He had to work late, and he was going to come the next day. Well, he built a fire in his fireplace. And then the next morning before he left, he was closing up the house. He took the ashes of the fire, put them in a, a box, and put them on his deck and drove off. And his house burned down. And I remember it clearly because he took the fire out and put it in the wrong place. God says sex is like that. It is good. It is made even when it works. It's made for, it, we cook with it. it. It warms us. We celebrate around it. it. It lights our way. But if you take it out of the fireplace, it causes grass fires that kill our kids and destroy our homes. It, it's beautiful in the sky at night and fireworks. But if it lands in the wrong place, if it lands on paper, it burns and dis, it, it scars, it kills. God says sex is the same way within the confines of a wonderful, committed marriage relationship, as the scripture says, between a man and a woman, it does phenomenal, it is good, it's best. It does all it's supposed to, but if you take it out of the fireplace, it burns, it kills, it destroys. And that's not a popular thing to say today. All through, our church has made a, a, a very clear, loving stand about what sex is and about what marriage is between a man and a woman from Genesis all the way through Revelation. 
that God, that Jesus is very clear, this is my intention for man and woman for marriage. Now, having said that, in this very difficult time, we have to be true and clear about our convictions, but very compassionate about people that struggle outside of that, about those of us that have failed to keep that fire where it was it's supposed to be in our past life, about people who are re-identifying what gender is, gender fluidity, what sex is, what marriage is. We have to be convicted of what the scripture says, and we can't just change it because it's convenient and culturally popular, but we have to have compassion and conversations and listen. This is the hardest challenge in our ministry right now. This is the number one issue that we deal with. Pray for wisdom for us as a church to speak truth with love. This is a tough one. He goes on, not just sexual immorality, but then look at this. You can't get away with this. Oh, yeah, I'm all about that. I'm all about, you know, I'm all against same sex or people living together. Yeah, those are bad people. But what about this one? On the same level, he talks about covetousness, greed, envy. Guess what the least preached on topic in America is today? Greed, coveting, envy. It's not popular. Greed is good. He who dies with the most toys wins. Get all you can while you can. We've got to build up our nest egg. We've got to get all the things we can. Paul says pornography, adultery, sexual is just, even greed and envy are just as bad. We can't keep putting one sin over another because we're comfortable. It is just the same. The greed and covetousness is just as dangerous and it will damage our bodies. We need to be honest in, 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 about all sins. Put to death those things. Another put. Put away. Not just sin. Put it away. He says put these things away. If you put to death those things, here's what we should be putting away. In these things you once walked as the old person. All that stuff was normal. To covet, to envy, to lust, to, to sleep around, to do whatever with sex. That's the old person. You used to walk in that way. You used to live that way, but no more. Now do what? Put them all away. What does it look like to be a new believer? Put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Still on the negative. Put it away, he says. Get rid of it. Again, he's saying anger. Not the emotion of just being angry. Paul says be angry, but don't sin. This kind of anger is anger with malice. Anger that does danger. Anger that won't forget and forgive. Anger, malice, wrath. Wrath is the same word for wreath. When you twist twigs to make a wreath, because unforgiveness and anger twist and distort our soul. And they, they, they twist us and distort us. That's what anger does. Put it away, he says. Get rid of it. Slander. Gossip, again, is the same as adultery, is pornography. And we just think it's, uh, it's a little bit of white lie, a little sin. No, it's the same. Sin is sin, James says. All sin is the same in the eyes of God. We can't keep elevating certain sins because they're, they're easier to elevate. But slander, what am I saying about people? Would I say that to Jesus? My language, is the F word going to become common language now? I, I heard of a Christian group that uses the F word, an F bomb, in, in a worship song. Is that going to be okay? Paul says, no. We've got to be different and don't lie. Lying is the same, again, as anything sexual, immoral. We've got to stay consistent. That's why, the church, that's why the world doesn't let... We take this little sin of racism or gossip or prejudice, and then we go, oh, no, same sex. Oh, no, they're smoking marijuana. It's all the same, folks. We've got to be consistent or the world's going to laugh at us. We've got to get biblical about this. Put off. Put away. And then I love 
this. He says, says, put off the old self. Put off the old self. Quit being that person you were before Jesus. Put, Put away the, put it off. I love this, the old self. And in the word there's literally, he's probably watching a Roman soldier come home from battle. You know, he's come, the soldiers come in and taking their armor off, that dirty, bloody armor, and they're putting it away. There's a new uh, movie documentary called Chernobyl. Uh, it's pretty strong. I would recommend it. It's about the 1986 worst nuclear meltdown explosion in history. It's believed that we know 4,000 people died the Russian government had this. We think 90,000 people died because of it. It almost destroyed the Soviet Union. Gorbachev said that the USSR failed. The Soviet Union fell because of Chernobyl. And the firefighters that ran in to put their original fire out, not knowing that they were being exposed to a, an exploded nuclear core, they began to burn. They get radiation burns. They took them to the hospital, and the first thing they did is wash them down and take off their firefighting clothes and put it in this room in Chernobyl Hospital. Those clothes are still stacked there today, 2019. You can walk in that room, they're still there. If you put a Geiger counter on them, they're still just as radioactive. They're deadly. Paul says the old person, the old self is deadly. Take it off. Have you exchanged the filthy rags of sin for the robe of righteousness? Take those dirty rags off, Paul says. Ah, then the positive. So if you put something off, what do you put on? When you change out of old dirty clothes, you put on something new. He says, put on the new self. Put on the new self, the new person. You're renewed, it says, by the image of the creator. Mean, what that means is put on the new self, which is being re- your thing is being renewed. See yourself as God sees you, as a perfect, loved, blessed, unblemished child and daughter of, of, of him. See yourself like he sees you. Put on that image. In fact, someone said that means that when God thought of you before the beginning of time, which Psalm says he does, and he saw you and named you and knew you in your mother's womb, he had a vision of how perfect you would be before sin came. He says, put that on. I want you to think about who you're supposed to be, who you can be and will be in heaven, and put that on now. And then the kind of this non-sequitur verse a little bit. At first it goes, wait, this doesn't fit, but it does, that last verse. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. What he's saying is, Right now we're saying, I'm an American, we celebrate that this week. I, I, I'm Brazilian, I'm Belizean, I'm, 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 I'm this, I'm Republican, I'm Democrat, I, I'm Southern, I'm, I'm Texan, I'm, I'm whatever, I'm, Dem- I'm Presbyterian, I'm Baptist. He says, I'm Jew, I'm Greek. Paul says, who cares? We don't care. When you get to heaven, that's really where you're from, that's really your country, that's really your city. You won't care or remember or even think about that when you come into the presence of Christ. Here, there's no, dis- no distinction. It won't matter. C.S. Lewis says when we get to heaven, we, when we're with Christ, it'd be like waking up from a nightmare that you forget in the first 10 minutes. Here, there's no distinction. Can we start living like that now, here today? You're a new creature. Put on, put off the old, put on the new. My favorite author, C.S. Lewis, tells a great story about this in his book, in his fantasy fiction called The Great Divorce, where people that have died and gone to hell, that are in hell, get to take a bus ride, all allegorical, there's no purgatory, they get to take a bus ride to heaven and see what it's like. And when they're in heaven, the believers are solid, glowing, heat-producing, beautiful creations like we're going to be. And the ghosts, when they get up there, they can't even walk on the grass, the grass doesn't bend. They can't pick up an apple, it's too heavy. The wind goes right through them, they're transparent. 
And there's an encounter with one of these ghosts. He's walking up towards one of the solid, believing, glorified people. And he has a lizard on his shoulder, a red lizard. And the lizard's talking to him. Don't get too comfortable here. This isn't a good place to be. This is where we're really not supposed to be here. And the man, the ghost, kept saying, shut up. Be quiet. You can't say that here. And he starts to turn and go away. And the solid, beautiful person says, are you leaving so soon? Because, oh, yes, yes, I have to. I, I thought I could bring him here. And this lizard is stuck with claws into his shoulder, speaking in his ear. I thought I could bring him, but this won't do. We have to leave. Would you like for me to make him quiet, said the flaming spirit. Of course I would, said the ghost. Then I will kill him, said the angel, taking a step forward. Ah, no, don't. You're burning me. Keep away. Do you want him killed? You didn't say anything about killing him. I didn't mean to bother you with anything so drastic. It's the only way, said the angel, whose burning hands were now very close to the lizard. Shall I kill it? Well, that's the question, isn't it? I'm quite open to consider it. Let's discuss it later. May I kill it? There's no time for discussion. There's no time. May I kill it? Please, I didn't mean to be a nuisance, said the ghost. Look, it's going to, oh, look, it's going to sleep on its own accord. It'll be okay now. May I kill it? Honestly, I don't think there's a necessity for that. I'm sure I'll be able to keep it in control now. I think the gradual process would be much better. The gradual process never works, said the solid, bright, shining man. Some other day, perhaps. There is no other day. All days are now. Get back. You're burning me. How can I tell you to kill it? You'll kill me if you did. That is not so. You're killing me now. I never said it wouldn't hurt. I'll come for another moment. There's mo- this is the moment of all moments. Why are you torturing me? Why are you doing this to me? Can I let you just tear it to pieces? Why didn't you just take it and kill it in the first place without asking? I cannot kill it against your will. I must have your permission. Have I your permission? The angel's hands were almost closed on the lizard, but not quite. The lizard began chatting. Don't let him do this. You can't live without me. What would your life be like? Have I your permission, said the angel. I know it will kill me. It won't, but what if it did? You're right. It'd be better to be dead than to live with this creature. Then I may kill it. Blast you. Damn you. Go on. Can't you? Get it over with. Do what you like, bellowed the ghost. God help me. God help me. The next moment, the ghost gave a scream of agony, a scream of agony, such as I'd never heard on earth. The burning one closed his grip on the reptile. It twisted, it bit, it writhed, and then he flung it broken back onto the turf. Oh, that's done for me. I'm a gunner. I'm dead. But just then, it says, as the person was watching, the man who'd been a ghost all of a sudden started to glow from his feet, then his torso, then his shoulders. He became a beautiful, glowing, solid person like the other angel. And at the same time, the lizard, who we thought was going to be dead, grew and got bigger and changed and grew into a giant, beautiful gold, uh, silver stallion. And the ghost who become now a solid man jumped on the stallion and rode off into the green, up the mountains, and into the sky as a star. Woo! <laughs> Seek things above. Set your heart on Christ. Put off the old. Put on the new. Put on the new. And the the ending there for Paul, I'll close with this, the great ending. He says, Christ is all and in all. Is he your all? Are you in him? Make sure you're in him. And is he in you? Is he in me? Then let's live like new people. Amen? One of the things that I love to see in our high school people is when they become new people and they start doing things like none other. This um, summer, I'm going to let Darby make her way up to the stage. We had the privilege, Jake and Anna, I've taken 20 25 high school graduating seniors 
And I'm always so impressed when they want to do this as their graduation trip, not go to Port A or go to Padre or do all the crazy, go to New Orleans or Vegas or all those things, that they want to serve the Lord. And so um, we were able to go to Belize, and I'm going to let Darby tell you a little bit about that.